Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I've got a question for each of you today. How many have stated values, either where you work or at your school or through some organization you're a part of? Can I see your hands? How many have a, you know, something like that? You've got stated values. I mean, they're just written out or clear that way. Okay, several that are there. Um, follow-up question. How many would say that they're practice? Can I see hands that way? Yeah, usually there's a bit of a gap with this. Jesus has a number one Value, a primary value for his church and for each and every one of his followers. And that value is unity. Would you say it with me? Jesus' number one value is unity. I'm not saying it's Jesus' only value, but I am saying it is his number one value. And Jesus' number one value for us is, say it again, it is unity. That's exactly right. Because Jesus knows that this is the linchpin for all of his work going forward. Jesus knows the game changer that unity actually will be amongst fellow believers and amongst his church that way. Jesus knows the impact that it will have on history and it changed the course of history. It could change the course of history again. So as we step into it this month, and I think it's something that all of us are gonna get so much out of, We want to be able to understand not only what Jesus says, but what he desires for us. Because I don't think anybody would go like, unity, nah, don't need it that way. I mean, we lean in a little bit. But personally, I think that we are only scratching the surface of comprehending what all Jesus wants to do in and through it in our lives. So I've got very, very high expectation. I hope that you will kind of trust me in that as we move ahead. So if you happen to have a Bible with you right now, I'm going to ask you to take it. If you've got one on your phone and you can open it up, I want to encourage you to do that. If you can take notes on it, even better. We're going to go back to John chapter 17. We know that this is a prayer that Jesus has that expresses his heart. His heart for his disciples, his heart for his church, his his heart for those that are going to become followers of his as well. I'm going to verse 20, where Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, that is the 12, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, if you've got the ability to take notes in your Bible or just to be able to to jot that down, use the notes that I've prepared for you that way. Beside verse 20, when Jesus said these words, I pray, I want you to write in here, I am praying. You see, the verb tense here is actually a present active indicative. And the significance of that is this. It wasn't a one-time prayer. It is Jesus' ongoing prayer. That tense means I am praying and I am continuing to pray. Today, Jesus is praying for us. Also, if you're taking notes in your Bible, I want you to write somewhere beside verse 20, 
your name. I've written my name right in here. Because when Jesus said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, Jesus is praying for me. Today, Jesus is praying for me. And he's praying that I might be able to embrace unity and that I might be in that catalyst or recipient of that which he so desires for me in my life. I mean, like, like whoa. I mean, that's pretty, pretty big stuff right there. Why is unity so important to Jesus? And as we understand that, if we can answer that question like, why is it so important? What's the big deal? We're not only gonna understand his heart, but we're gonna see so much more the power that he actually has in this. And so if you look, the Bible is open or up at the screen. In verse 23, Jesus gives, again, a big part of it. He says, so that they, his prayer, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What's the next word? Say it with me. Then. One more time. Then. Then the world will know that you have sent me. The word then there is actually the Greek word Hina. And it's referred to as a Hina clause, which I know it just sounds like so weird, right? But a Hina clause is always a clause of purpose or a purpose clause. In other words, by unity, something. Through unity, something. And the something, by unity, the world is going to know that you sent me. In other words, through unity, it is going to be the final confirmation that this is all true, that the gospel is true, that Jesus has come. When all of the conversations have been had, when all of the reasons to believe have been given, the final one, if you would, the trump card on it all is take a look at the followers of Jesus. Take a look at the church of Jesus and see what just goes beyond natural human ability. That is a unity among people that are so different with each other. Sometimes this is called the final apologetic, or it's the final answer. If you were to flip it, you'd have to say this. The division in the church breeds atheism in the world. Let me say that again. Division in the church, lack of unity, breeds atheism in the world. And so many times we go like, what's going on out there? And Jesus is going like, no, let's keep the question here. What's going on in here? Because if we can get unity right, there is an undeniable message and there is something that has such appeal that people are drawn to it and God says there's a supernatural power to it. In other words, Jesus would say, unity is actually mission critical. It's not just something that's nice to have. It's not just like, this is gonna give us a competitive advantage. He said, it is critical for people knowing that this message of the gospel, it's true. He would say, unity is essential to experiencing the will of God because unity is the will of God. You can't do an end around, around it. So if I just to ask you right now with what's been said, on a scale of one to 100, how important is unity to Jesus. Give me a number, just shout it out. One to a hundred, it would be? Yeah, okay, so we, most would say a yeah, hundred, and I would, I would concur with that. You know, like hundred for Jesus. On the same scale, one to a hundred, how important is disrupting unity to Satan? Give me a number. Once again, 100. In fact, the number 
one objective of Satan. If he can do nothing else, if he can bring division, he wins. Now just think about that for a second. The number one objective of Satan is to bring division, disunity. Yeah, if he could do it in a church, if he could do it in your family, if he could do it in your small group, he just goes like, I win. So what does it look like? What is it that Jesus is calling us up to when he's calling us into unity? I mean, right, I gotta be clear on this. And for clarity, Unity isn't a uniformity. It's not a unanimity. In other words, unity isn't when everybody looks alike and talks alike and dresses alike and acts alike and thinks alike. I mean, that would be a caricature. I mean, it'd be a cartoon of unity. When Jesus talks about unity, he's talking about people that have incredible differences, like as different as a Jew was from a Gentile, as different as a man from a woman, as different as a slave from a free person, as different as from an educated person to an uneducated person, as different as a conservative from a liberal, as different as different age groups, as they look at each other and go like, and you just don't get it. As different as cultures can be with each other, as different as ethnicities can, I mean, this broad range. Jesus is talking about unity amongst those that have, get this, more not in common than they do in common. Those are the ones he's bringing together in unity. Jesus doesn't take all the vibrant of personality, individuality that way. You know, and just kind of like mix them into the same bucket, stir them around, and all those vibrant colors then become just like a muddy, dull block, right? I mean, like, it's not what he's doing. He said unity is like this collage in which you can take thousands of unique pieces, thousands of unique pictures that come together for a very powerful message, for a very incredible image or picture that's going on. That's the type of unity. That's what Jesus is talking about. Which then causes us to ask, well, how do you get there? I mean, how do you get something like that? And here's where things get really practical. In fact, everything from here on, like, really practical here. All the different, you know, people, people that think alike or think differently. They don't think alike. About 60 minutes before Jesus prays this prayer. So I'm going to just give you the setting. Jesus prays this prayer in the upper room where they have the Last Supper, what we would know as the first communion that goes on up there. About an hour before he does that, he tells his disciples, I am giving you a new commandment. It's like, here's the last commandment. Here's the last thing I'm giving to you. And this is going to be over and above everything else. In fact, you can take all the other commandments and set them aside. Here's just one commandment. It's the new commandment. It's the law of Christ. He said, this is the means to unity. And he says, a new commandment I give you. Here it is. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. And then look at this. By this, this one thing, here's that test again, that final apologetic. By this is what people will know if you're my disciple. It's if you love one another. In other words, 
The key to unity is the new command. It's the law of Christ. It's to love one another with the same love that Jesus loves us. If you haven't been with us a couple weeks ago, I talked about the boomerang principle. I had a boomerang up here. The boomerang principle. And that is, with the golden rule, Jesus said, you need to do to others what you would want people to do to you. It's kind of like you're the center of it. What do you want people to do to you? How would you want people to treat you? That's what you need to do to others. It's called the golden rule. This new commandment, I heard somebody refer to this just recently as the platinum rule. (laughs) So the platinum rule is you need to do to others. You need to love others, fellow ones in me, with the same love that I have loved you. Now think about how Jesus changed it. First standard golden rule is here. It's, it's tied to you. Second one, the platinum rule, it's like it's here. Jesus said, this is tied to me. How are we to treat one another with the same love that Jesus loves us? That is breathtaking. It is beautiful in theory. But when you know When it comes down just to being able to live it out, that's when things start to get like messy. And truth be told, there's sometimes that unity, it's just not it's just not that appealing to us. I've got Harold up here. I've asked Harold to come up here um, because Harold and I have an irreconcilable difference. We think totally different. We are never going to be on the same page together. I mean, polar opposites. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Harold is a Bears fan. Yeah, I know, I know. Don't, please, don't judge. Like, I know, when you look at Harold, looks like an intelligent human being, right? I mean, and you're thinking what I'm thinking, like, how could somebody like this, I mean, somebody, you know, that follows Jesus, how could they be a Bears fan. And because they are, because they are a Bears fan, a couple things for sure. Not having them over to my house for dinner, ever. Because I mean, like, what would my neighbors think if they knew I had a Bears fan come into my house? I'm keeping my kids as far away from Harold as I possibly can. Because what if he had influence on them? Now here's the dilemma. What do I do with Harold? Because, I mean, if we're both followers of Jesus, but I mean, like, we are on totally different pages as far as what we believe about this. Well, Jesus said, let me give you an example. Let me model for you. Here's what to do when you have somebody with the irreconcilable difference. So, Harold, if you just have a seat there. What Jesus did before Jesus prayed this prayer of unity, before... Jesus gives the new commandment. He does something that his disciples are never, ever, ever going to forget. You see, in the time they've gathered together, and this is so important to Jesus, that I've just so longed to get everybody together, his 12 disciples, other disciples that were up there with him. And they're having this dinner together. And in dinner, here's what's going on. They are arguing and fighting and bickering with each other. They're talking about the greatest. Can you imagine what's going on? Peter looks at John and just goes, you're stupid. And you know, over there, and he's talking to Nathaniel and goes like, I 
where you're coming from. I mean, you are just so whacked. And, and they're, fight, they're literally fighting with each other. And here's Jesus. I mean, the next you know, hours away from being arrested and crucified, and he's looking at these people that he's training, going like, I'm an utter failure, right? I mean, like, like, like what is going on right here? I mean, unity? No. And he goes, here's what they need most. So he gives them what they need most. Before he gives them the teaching they need, before he prays for them this way, he takes a basin and water and he pours it in there, doesn't say anything. And he just goes over and to one of the first disciples, he lifts their leg, he takes their foot and Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now for us, even, even right now you go like, that seems like a pretty significant thing. But in that day, there was nothing that would be more um, humiliating than having to wash another's feet. I can't think of a parallel today. The closest thing, I'm just, I was trying to figure this out. I'm like, if you've ever been on a plane, you know, maybe an international flight, you're gonna be there, there's a couple extra seats around you, but the person next to you gets air sick. And they grab for the bag, right? They, they grab for the airbag, but it fails. And it just blows out all over them. So the person is covered in their own vomit. What do you do? I know what most people do. Like, yeah, you're moving away from that. But in this case, if you're washing feet, you're going to a person that is covered in their own vomit. And you said, here, let me help you. And you begin to, you begin to clean them up. When they go, and they go to change their clothes, you mean you're the one that's willing to clean their seat. And rather than moving away from them, you're moving toward them. Still not there, but we're starting to get into the neighborhood. And so when his disciples saw Jesus that was washing their feet, they're just kind of like, quiet dead quiet. I want you to think about the time that just took as Jesus washed their feet. I don't think Jesus would have done a, you know, just kind of a quick job like, eh, let me just hit, knock off a little bit of dirt. Now remember in that day, they had open shoes, which meant, you know, you're picking up all the dirt. They didn't have concrete roads there. So you've got, you've got the dirt, but you've got the disease and everything that the road is picking up. So Jesus is really careful. It means cleaning their feet. If it took him, just time-wise, if it took him, a minute per foot. I mean, that's pretty fast, and I'm sure he put you know, oil on when he's done as well. If it took him a minute a foot, and there were 12 disciples, how many minutes would that take? I know this is public math, so it, it would take how long? Yeah, I mean, like, like it'd take like 24 minutes, but there's more than just 12 disciples that are up there. So this thing that Jesus is doing, I mean, this may stretch on for an hour. Just sitting for an hour and you're watching person after person having their feet washed. And uh, swap you out here. It's kind of like this, right? Like, whoa. And Jesus is there washing their feet. 
He's not thinking about what people would think about him. Because I'm thinking about what people think about me right now. I'm going like, somebody's gonna put me up on Instagram. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be known as the person that washed the feet of a Bears fan. I mean, my reputation is trashed from this point on and I may be banned from Lambeau Field. I mean, this is what can happen. But when you have an irreconcilable difference and you're willing to do and understand foot washing is loving an individual in the most practical, tangible way. So I'm not, Jesus isn't saying, hey, just go find somebody's feet who you're not in agreement with and just go wash their feet. But he's saying like, what do they need in their lives? And I want you to see something else that foot washing is showing me with regards to acting in unity or loving. It is impossible for me to right now to look down my nose on a Bears fan. The posture just doesn't allow for it. I have to spend the time in making sure that the love is demonstrated at that point. And there's proximity. You can't wash feet across the room. It is really easy to be you know, argumentative. It's easy to be judgmental at a distance. But when you get up close and demonstrate love in an unmistakable way, that goes away. And when you love in a clear way, like Jesus has loved us, even though irreconcilable in this area of our life, we have unity through this one action. Thanks, Harold. I think of this as like a really awkward lunch that I found myself in. When I first came to town, it was like, you know, 30, 30 years ago. What I tried to do is get together with other pastors in the area just to go like, hey, let's get to know each other and how can we work together, you know, for the good of Jesus. So we got together. This happened to be a Chinghua restaurant, which tells you it was a while ago because, you know, I sure miss Chinghua and it's not here anymore. But as we gathered and the cashew chicken was being served, clear as, clear as it was yesterday, it would have been this question that got asked because I'm just getting ready to take my first bite. And the pastor was says, hey, God, I need to know something. I'm like, okay. He goes like, I'm like, yeah, what's that? He said, I need to know, what do you believe about a person, a Christian that's been divorced? You know, can they ever, you know, be a part of the church? Can they serve in the church? Could they ever be remarried again? And I'm thinking like, that's kind of an awkward question for lunch right now. But, you know, like, well, so I said, well, whether or not we see eye to eye on all of those, you know, minute details, he goes like, it's not going to keep us from serving Jesus together. And he said, actually, if you don't believe what I believe about this, I will never eat another meal with you again. Like, this is, this is awkward at this moment. And when he pressed the issue, it got more awkward. And the truth we have never eaten another meal together in 30 years. When we've been in the same room or gatherings together, don't want to speak to me, don't want to have anything to do that way. What do you think the devil wants to use to accomplish his number one goal? Because we know what his number one goal is, right? Division. What does the devil want to use to cause division? And the answer is this, simple answer. Anything he possibly can.
If he can take a sickness that's affecting the entire world and people need to come together and love and help one another and if he can use a sickness like COVID and bring division to the church of Jesus, division over masks or no mask or vax or no vax or when to meet and when not to meet and to bring judgment on the other person that doesn't think the way that you think about it. He'd be like, that'd be awesome. If he can use something like politics, and politics are important, right? And, but if he can use that to bring division to the church, and we got another political season that we're just ramping up to right now, and you can almost feel the tension, the division, and people that don't think like you, that, but maybe sitting in the same row as you are. If he could use that to bring division in the church, man, would he ever want to do that. If he could use a social issue to bring that, for sure he would. If he could use something that's in the Bible to bring division among followers of Jesus, like he'd be like, that is a huge win for me. But here's the questions that we really need to ask. What's he using in our life? What is he using with you that has caused you to have division from other believers. People that don't think like you, act like you that way, but you have been willing to say, uh-uh, no way, I'm not hanging with you at all because of this. What is it with you that you've allowed to keep you from Jesus' number one value? See, that's so important for us to face. If we turn the question just a little bit, I'm about to say to you, who is it that you would be unwilling to wash their feet? Some person, irreconcilable difference, but you're just going like, me do that, like, I would never do that for them. Unity is just like being blown up, right? And as soon as you realize that person, I hope that the Spirit of God's like prompt you like, how am I gonna move and show them love in a way that's gonna be unmistakable to them? Because this number one value of Jesus will change everything. Or if we go like, I'm gonna pass on it this time or I don't want anything to do with those, whoever those are to you, it'll wreck you spiritually and put you in this place of incredible self-deception. What do we do? Well, if we see it, we just repent. We acknowledge it, we confess it, and we then step into it. Imagine with me for just a second if the church of Jesus were working in unity with each other today. Now to say it would change the world, no understatement. It would change the world. But we know that we don't have control over the whole church of Jesus, right? What we do have control over is this. I have control over me, and you have control over you. And if we will choose unity, if we're working in unity with each other, if we're treating each other very different, but with that love that Jesus has for us, if my small group is in unity, very different people, but working in unity, so much we can do. If there's unity, in our homes, with our irreconcilable differences, but still in our homes, in our church. It's gonna have an impact 
that may even take our breath away, but I guarantee you, it's gonna change us for the good and it's gonna open us up to what Jesus wants for us. I thought about earlier, um, when we heard about um, September 3rd, we had the opportunity to pack 140,000 meals in one day. And together we could do that. And if you wanna be a part of that, and I hope you will, that QR code is just kind of like, it's gonna give you information, you can sign right up for it. We do blood drives here at church this past year. So far we've done 12. We'll do another blood drive Monday in Waukesha, following Monday, week from Monday, in Muskego. Just in the last, just this year, 12 of them, we have come together to be able to offer over 1,100 life-giving gifts. And if you're a person that's in need of blood, you know there is no other way to get it, and it will literally save your life, or you will die if you don't get it. Together, just in one year, over 1,100, and throughout the years, thousands and thousands, I mean, tens of thousands. This coming Saturday, we do Second Saturday. Again, what can we do together? When we come together, and Mike leads us, and I'm so appreciative of Mike, we will go into some retirement homes and show the love of Jesus there where it is so, so received and appreciated. We'll join with Miss Fitz. We can go to the Waukesha Food Pantry and Muskego Food Pantry, but you can come together with others who are not like you, but when you work together, we show the world this is true. This is real. It's something that we can be a part of. And again, I just encourage you, be a part. Like, use that QR code. There's both information, but it's a way that you can just step right into it. Now, before I just wrap it up with a bow, I want to say this. I need to say this. Because it may be the question, really, that you're here for today. Do you know how much God loves you? Because you may be wondering that. Jesus here was very clear. God loves you with the same love that he has for him. That's how much God loves you, just like his son. And that's what he wants for you, to bring you into sonship, daughtership with him. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Because if we're gonna love others, like Jesus loves us, sure helps to know the answer to that question. Jesus loves us enough that he would wash our feet today. He'd show us love in the most tangible, needed way that we have. Jesus loves us enough that he's willing to go to the cross, pay the price of our sin, suffer the consequence of our hell for us, so that we could have oneness with him, oneness with God, and a oneness with others that we'll have in no other way. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, I hope today that you'll open your life up to him and come to the one who's died for you, risen again. And if you'll call upon him, he said, that grace, that forgiveness, he's been waiting to give to you. So here's our prayer today. First and foremost, if we're followers of Jesus, to take hold of the number one value of his. Jesus' number one value is what? Say it with me. It is, it's unity. We're gonna take hold of that. Because we know what it is. We know how to get there. And we actually know how to do it. If we haven't received him, I want to invite you to do so. So would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, thank you for not only putting something in front of us that's amazing, 
but it's achievable and it's doable and you modeled all along. Here's what it looks like. Here's how you do it. Here's what's gonna happen. It's up to us now, Lord, to join you because you've left that choice with us. Some of us, it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be life-changing. Thank you for that. For some here, Jesus, they're ready now to open their life to you and to trust you as Savior. And as they pray this simple prayer, Jesus, would you forgive me? I ask you to be my Lord and Savior as best I understand how, and I want to trust you now. If that's your prayer, friend, to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, first time ever that you're doing it, I want to ask you, would you just lift the hand up for a second and say, Guy, that's me. Yeah, that's always, it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Others, yeah. Thank you for again saving grace, Jesus. That's all we can say is thank you. And we look forward to what you're gonna be doing in these new brothers and sisters' lives through it. We praise you. And all God's people together said, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,